0: The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Recovery, the Hero's Journey your host is Dr. Patricia Halligan. If addiction or prescription drug dependence affects you directly or indirectly, whether it's you, a family member, or a close friend, stay tuned over the next hour as we explore substance use disorders, process addictions, and prescription drug dependence. We'll be discussing the painful reality behind these disorders and what can be done to help. Now, here is Dr. Patricia Halligan.
1: Welcome to the second episode of Recovery the Hero's Journey. Today's episode is Surviving Xanax, When the Doctor Becomes the Patient. I'm your host, Dr. Patricia Halligan. I'm thrilled to introduce you to two of my favorite modern-day heroes, cardiologist Dr. Christy Huff and physician assistant Nicole Lamberson. Severely harmed by benzodiazepines, both of them work tirelessly to spread the word about the dangers of benzodiazepine dependence and the importance of long, slow benzodiazepine tapers. They are indeed true patient advocates for anyone suffering from benzodiazepine dependence or severe protracted benzodiazepine withdrawal. Just to clarify, we're talking about a class of controlled substances known as sedative hypnotics that include drugs like Xanax, Clonopin, and Ativan. We're including the Z drugs also, Ambien, Lunesta, and Sonata, which are similar to benzodiazepines in terms of dependence and withdrawal. Christy Huff, MD, is a cardiologist and director of Benzodiazepine Information Coalition, a nonprofit that educates about the adverse effects of prescribed benzodiazepines. Dr. Huff attended medical school at the University of Texas Southwestern, where she graduated Alpha Omega Alpha. She completed an internal medicine residency at Washington University in St. Louis and a cardiology fellowship at UT Southwestern with a focus in advanced cardiovascular imaging and non-invasive cardiology. Dr. Huff is a fellow of the American College of Cardiology, was a private practice cardiologist in Fort Worth, Texas until 2011. Dr. Huff experienced benzodiazepine adverse effects and injury firsthand after three weeks of prescribed Xanax use for insomnia in 2015. Over a three-year period, she slowly tapered off benzodiazepines, utilizing Valium and suffering disabling withdrawal symptoms for the entirety of her taper. Her personal experience led her to realize the serious risks of these medications and the severity of the benzodiazepine withdrawal syndrome, neither of which were emphasized during her medical training. Dr. Huff specifically advocates for better education of physicians regarding the adverse effects of benzodiazepines and how to safely taper patients off these medications. Nicole Lamberson is a physician assistant residing in Virginia. She obtained a BS at James Madison University in 2000, and then went on to complete the Master of Physician Assistant program at Eastern Virginia Medical School in 2004. She practiced in an urgent care and occupational medicine setting until severe illness from benzodiazepine withdrawal syndrome left her unable to work. In 2005, she was prescribed Xanax for work-related stress. Over the course of five years, she developed many classic symptoms of benzodiazepine tolerance withdrawal, which multiple psychiatrists misdiagnosed as mental illness. This resulted in prescribed polypharmacy to treat the troubling symptoms of tolerance, including two benzodiazepines prescribed simultaneously, a Z drug, an antidepressant, a stimulant, and an antipsychotic. Nicole made the connection between her own troubling symptoms and the medication and immediately decided to withdraw. Unfortunately, lacking the proper guidance or information at the time regarding the absolute need for a slow taper, she was negligently cold-turkeyed in a detox center. This ultimately resulted in a severe and protracted withdrawal syndrome that persists to date. When symptoms allow, Nicole writes about benzodiazepines and volunteers her time helping with ongoing benzodiazepine awareness initiatives, including the Benzodiazepine Information Coalition, the Benzodiazepine Action Work Group of the Colorado Consortium, and the World Benzodiazepine Awareness Day. Nicole co-founded the Withdrawal Project, a grassroots community effort of Compass Initiative, and she does marketing, distribution, and outreach for Medicating Normal, the film. As her healing allows, Nicole plans to be even more involved, perhaps either working and or volunteering in some capacity with a focus in prescribed drug withdrawal management and also participating in education initiatives around benzodiazepine and psychiatric drug withdrawal for medical providers in the future. Thank you both for agreeing to come on the show today. Dr. Huff, I wonder if you could begin by sharing your story with our listeners.
2: Sure. So, I was a stay-at-home mom as of 2015, and I was prescribed Xanax around that time uh, because I had developed, I had a health crisis. I had a severe dry eye syndrome, and I was losing my vision, and while we were trying to figure out to treat that, or how to treat that, my doctors prescribed me Xanax to help both with, it was a scary situation, and also I really, I just couldn't sleep because it was so painful. And so, I just just started taking out 0.25 milligrams of Xanax um, only at night uh, because I wanted to be cautious and careful with it. Well, about three weeks in, I started to develop some new concerning symptoms. I had a tremor and also some anxiety um, that I hadn't really ever experienced before. And the symptoms were subtle at first. Um, over time, they did grow worse, but I something was terribly wrong. And so I went back to my doctors and they thought maybe this was some kind of medical condition that could tie into the dry eye syndrome. And so I underwent this whole battery of testing, you know, blood work, MRI, lumbar puncture. Everything came back normal, but I continued uh, to grow sicker. And during that time, I was encouraged to take Xanax, you know, even during the day, no more than I was ever prescribed, but just to help treat this anxiety that I was experiencing. Um When I really figured out what was going on, that it was the Xanax that was um, making me sick, I was asked to hold Xanax for one of those medical tests for about 12 hours. And I developed severe withdrawal symptoms. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't swallow um, muscle contractures. And as soon as I took a dose, those symptoms all just melted away. So I got online, did an Internet search, and um, Googled – uh, xanax or benzodiazepine I can't remember what I googled exactly um, but I found the website benzo buddies and it's a web forum for patients withdrawing from benzodiazepines and what I read there was really shocking it basically described everything I was going through so basically it became clear that I my body had become physically dependent on the xanax and that I was experiencing interdose withdrawal so basically withdrawal symptoms between doses uh, because the half-life of Xanax is so short. And, um, so at that point I knew that I needed to come off the medication. Well, I, I tried to reduce the dose on my own and I was unsuccessful because the withdrawal symptoms were so severe. And I just want to stop right here and say what I was experiencing was not addiction. It was, you know, the normal physiologic effects of my body adapting to the drug. And uh, at a certain point, I was just taking the medication to stave off the withdrawal symptoms. So, um, unfortunately, when I went back to my doctors to say, look, I want to get off Xanax and my body's dependent and I need help, they, um, some of them didn't believe me. Some of them treated me like I, as an, like I was an addict. I was, I was told a, a number of things, like you can't be dependent on the medication because – You've only been on it for a few weeks. You can just stop the medication, cold turkey, and that's how you can get off. So that certainly wasn't um, (laughs) going to work for me, I knew. Um, And I was even given an antidepressant to try to treat some of the symptoms I was having, and that ended up making things worse. So um, finally, I did find a psychiatrist. I brought him a copy of the Ashton Manual, which is a... Um, guide for withdrawing from benzodiazepines. And based on that protocol, we worked together. He switched me over to Thallium, and, which has a longer half life and helped cover the interdose withdrawal symptoms. And then I was able to do a slow taper from there. Um, I was not able to follow the protocol and the manual um, because it was just too fast for my body. And so I ended up tapering over a period of Three years, a little over three years, and unfortunately, despite um, doing such a slow taper, I still experienced a host of disabling symptoms. At one time, I counted up to eighty different withdrawal symptoms, um, oh, and
1: man. it was really what a, profoundly what a nightmare.
2: It was, it was a nightmare. I mean, it was just Whew. utter hell, and it, not just the symptoms mm-hmm. itself, but they were just utterly disabling towards the end of the taper. I could barely care for my basic needs like cooking and taking a shower and driving. So it was just profoundly life affecting.
1: And and if I get you um, right, this was a very small dose of Xanax for a very short period of time.
2: Yes. And all I took was 0.25 milligrams for three weeks and then things started to go haywire from there.
1: Totally unexpected.
2: Right, right. I was I was completely blindsided about what
1: happened. Uh, had you ever seen this before or heard of this before you uh, developed it?
2: No, honestly, no, I, I, I didn't know. Like I said, I, I discovered what was going on via the, the internet, shockingly enough.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And did you learn this in med school? Because I know I didn't.
2: No, I didn't. I think I was taught two things about benzodiazepines. I was taught you know, short term. Be cautious about prescribing, which is that's that's good information. And then also about the risk of addiction. But I didn't really understand the difference between physical dependence and addiction, and also how long it can take to taper off the medication.
1: Right, and this clearly wasn't uh, addiction. I'm glad you made the distinction. This is uh, somebody who uh, took a small amount of Xanax for a three week period for uh, you know a dry eye to help with sleep and. Uh, relax you at bedtime and no no history of addiction didn't take uh, other than as prescribed correct and totally debilitated for a three year period
2: yes yes
1: what how did your family react
2: they were um, I think they were devastated I mean I think my husband got to the point where he just you know put one foot in front of the other and you know we got we got through it but it was definitely life-altering. I had to get a nanny to help care for my child for a while, and I, I just couldn't function as a, a mother, so it was devastating.
1: Oh, boy. Yeah. I I think the worst thing of this uh, is that nobody can help you until you finally find the psychiatrist who's willing to work with you. Had he ever heard of the Ashton Manual? To help you. No, withdraw? he
2: hadn't. He hadn't. I just lucked out that he was um, willing to to listen, you know. And I think that's really what it takes. Because I went through a number of providers that just weren't even willing to listen. Mm-hmm.
1: And and for you, what's been the worst thing about having a protracted benzodiazepine withdrawal?
2: So you know, beyond the fact that it was just utter torture and this went on for years. There was a almost five year period where I was mostly incapacitated. You know, I would just say the how it affected my family and my ability to take care of them. Cause like I said, I had to have a nanny to take care of my daughter and I missed out on years with her. There's I mean, there's a blank period in my memory from like age four to nine of my daughter. And I can go back and look at pictures of her life back then, but that's not quite the same. So I missed out on time with her. And it also affected my daughter as well. She developed a, you know, very extremely picky eating and that's something we're still working on today.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, the FDI recently amended their black box warning on all benzodiazepine prescriptions. And I know that you've looked at it. In your opinion, Dr. Huff, is the uh, warning clear enough and strong enough, and what would you change about it? Can you talk a little bit about the, the new updated FDA uh, uh, warning, black box warning?
2: Sure. So I have a lot of thoughts about this. Uh, Just for background, they recently updated the box warning for benzodiazepines to include the risk of abuse, addiction, physical dependence, and withdrawal reactions. Mm -hmm. And this was after they did an extensive review that included the existing scientific literature. And they also reviewed their adverts events database as well. And I was able to obtain there was a 175-page report that they generated from, and I got that from Freedom of Information Request, and I, I looked over it, and, you know, I saw a number of things that were encouraging, um, and but it doesn't necessarily tell the whole story. Um, you know, I'll start with the, the good things. I was excited to see some of their findings because they aligned with Um, things that benzodiazepine awareness advocates have said for years. Um, You know, the first thing they noted that addiction abuse are mostly in the setting of polysubstance use. So Mm -hmm. like in combination with opioids or alcohol or other drugs of abuse. Um, But if you're just taking them as prescribed, then the chance of addiction is going to be pretty low. Um, Also, the adverse events can actually occur with prescribed Therapeutic use—you don't have to abuse the drug to have adverse effects from the medication. And that withdrawal can be, like in my case, a long process. Um, some patients in their database were withdrawing over the course of months or or years. Um, and then also the abrupt and over rapid tapers are harming patients. Um, some of the case reports they noted people were uh, being. Pulled off the medication too fast and suffering adverse effects um, from that um, and severe withdrawal. And so this prompted the FDA to recommend a patient-specific plan to gradually reduce the dosage, which I think is a great recommendation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, beyond the gradual taper, they also recommended judicious prescribing, um, which is basically use an alternative for to a benzodiazepine or use the lowest dose for the shortest time possible. And I think those are recommendations we can all get on board with. But Mm -hmm. I do still think there's more work to be done so that the labels clearly spell out the risk. And I think the big thing that I would like to see spelled out more clearly is the severity and the length of time that people who suffer protracted withdrawal, um, you know, basically this syndrome is, I think, not as rare as they let on. Because if you look at Ashton's work, 10 to 15 percent of people withdrawing from long-term benzodiazepines, which is considered more than four weeks of use, um, they can experience this protracted withdrawal syndrome. And that,
1: that's an alarmingly high number. Right. And I don't doubt it.
2: Right. I, I, it's, I, I, think, I think that's it's
1: probably pretty accurate.
2: Yeah, I think that's consistent with what we're seeing in advocacy Mm-hmm. As well, and so, and i I've known people that have actually committed suicide because of the severity and the ongoing nature of the symptoms. So that's something that I would want to see spelled out in, in writing.
1: It, it never ends by the way you're talking about it. This is a living hell that just never ends, and there's almost no words that describe I think uh, I think it was um an English uh, physician uh John O'Connor. And he said, it's uh, the body becomes its own torture chamber.
2: That's exactly, exactly how it is. And when you're in it, you just cannot see your way out of it.
1: Oh, it's, it's just excruciating, right? Like inhumane. And I, I could stand anything for 24 hours, you might be able to, to push it to about a week. But if you're talking years, I understand why people want to end their life.
2: Right. And I understand too, having experienced it firsthand, because I mean, there were times where I thought about suicide as, a, as just a way out. Um, and especially, if it, yeah. If, especially I if I had if not gotten better, that would have been an option, unfortunately. It, it was just that bad.
1: Oh, absolutely. People think I'm going to put my family uh, out of their misery. I'm going to put me out of my misery. Uh, this is, it feels hopeless after a while, I would imagine. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so if, what would you change? What would your wording be? Uh, On this black box warning, Um, I think it was Shane Kenny. He said he would say it's um, severe. This benzodiazepine can cause severe neurological harm. And I thought, like, I wonder, um, yeah, how do you get the message across, right? Yeah, I mean,
2: I think I would agree with that because this is a neurological injury or damage that we're talking about whenever the withdrawal is just going on for months or years. Um, So, I yes, I think something like that needs to be in the warning.
1: I I, I think that would be wonderful. And maybe, um, do they give clear advice on how to taper? Uh, I know it has to be patient-led, but do they say what duration of time they should, um, like, a minimum amount of time? Like, I I kind of wish they said, you know, at, at least... You know, look at like uh, nine to 12 months minimum, or you know, something to that extent. Some people right. years and years, like yourself.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, they don't say anything like that. In fact, if you look at the Xanax medication guide, um, they list the maximal rate of taper as 0.5 milligrams every three days, which wow. is just an insanely fast rate, which probably would not work for anyone. Nope. So, um, so wow. I would like to see something more in line with like what we're seeing um, in the online support groups, which feedback from those groups suggests, you know, less than five to 10% reduction monthly is better, to- better tolerated.
1: Because those people then are less likely to develop a, a severe protracted withdrawal syndrome, right? If you don't shock the, the central nervous system, which is very, very gradual, and maybe they won't become totally debilitated.
2: Exactly. That definitely lowers the risk, I think.
1: Right. Oh, that's, that's, those are some great insights. Um, I love the fact that you encourage people who have been harmed by benzodiazepines to report it. And what good does that do? And how do they report it?
2: So this is something that's near and dear to my heart, because I've spent a lot of time helping harm patients uh, file FDA MedWatch reports. So um, in the, here in the United States, we have the FDA MedWatch system. Now, if you're in another country, you hopefully have some other um, a similar agency where you can report, but I'm just going to talk about MedWatch. Um, And that can be found um, on the FDA's website. It's basically their adverse events database. And if you have an adverse event, you should go there and report it. There's also a direct direct link to it on the BIC website as well. Um, And it's really important to do this because when enough reports are filed, it generates a signal that the FDA is obligated to investigate, and of course, we've already seen this in action because a lot of the findings that led to this boxed warning um, were from their review of the adverts events database. Um, so, and before you think that, well, it's it's closed, the back box warning's already out, there's, you know, like I said, there's still more work to be done, so please keep reporting because I'm, mm-hmm. I've heard that the FDA's Benzo Review Committee is still open, so there's still you know, investigating. So, you know, keep those reports coming. And I'd especially like to see people filing reports that have experienced severe withdrawal or protracted withdrawal and severe outcomes like suicide or disability. Mm -hmm. But just so you know, anybody can file a report on your behalf. Um, It doesn't have to be the patient themselves. It can be the patient's doctor, family, friend, an advocate.
1: You know, anyone can do it. So, it might help them feel like they're contributing to fix the problem or exactly. improve awareness it feels like nobody understands doctors who tell you just stop it you're at a low dose you've only been on it for a couple of weeks what does interdose withdrawal feel like
2: oh so mine was got to be pretty um, bad towards the end of by Xanax doses, I was having to space it every six hours towards the end before I was able to get switched over to Valium. and my doses would last me between two to three hours, and then I would be on fluorid withdrawal and I'm talking like I had an elephant on my chest and I was gasping for air for three hours until my next dose and my muscles all clamped down and shaking and it was it was terrifying.
1: I wonder why they don't just take Xanax off the market. I mean, it's implicated in one-third of suicides. Uh, It is the most abusable uh, benzodiazepine. Uh, It it is uh, highly potent and uh, rapidly acting. Uh, You know, I just wonder uh, why they just don't get rid of it.
2: Yeah, that's a good good point because it does, all the benzodiazepines can be bad, but that one, I know at least in my case, was horrible and i think that the short half life and the potency just give it leads to all sorts of problems
1: yes it's the one that the emergency room uh across the country uh, the emergency rooms across the country tend to see the most uh incidents with it's the mm. the most uh um accidents related the most overdose deaths related the most suicides related to uh to Xanax well, those are some wonderful insights i really appreciate uh your thoughts on this and sharing your your story sure Nicole, I wonder if you'd mind uh, telling the listening audience uh, a little bit about your story, uh, what it was like then, where you're at now. Sure. Um, Thanks for
3: having me. And uh, I just want to say I'm having some allergies. So if I sniffle or my throat cracks, that's why. Um, So early in the 2000s, I was fresh out of PA school um, and I was having some stress at work, you know, nervousness, just typical, um, I think, in hindsight, just kind of nerves from being a new, you know, PA working in, in a medical environment and just sort of <clears throat> getting used to um, all the stress and um, responsibility that came with that. And so one of the physicians actually that I worked for prescribed Xanax for me. I was feeling sick at work one day and he said, oh, oh, that's just, you know, stress and anxiety here, take this. Um, it was, I think, 0.5 milligrams um, or 0.25, I'm not sure. And just on a PRN uh, basis. So I started taking it and um, like Christy, you know, shortly after starting it, I in hindsight, got adverse effects. I I believe I was having interdose withdrawal and tolerance very fast. But I didn't put, you know, two and two together as fast as Christy did. Within weeks, I actually believed that something was wrong with me, that I had an anxiety Uh. disorder or, um, you know, I was developing new severe um, mental health type stuff. So I did seek psychiatric care I started to see a psychiatrist um I was also having like depression which I think was from the Xanax um and so when I went to the psychiatrist of course they misdiagnosed a lot of the adverse effects that I was having as so-called mental illness um and then I stayed in psychiatric care for the next five years and um basically they added more and more medications and each new medication um, came with its own set of side effects and adverse effects until basically I was like a chemical soup. You know, I was on so many drugs and sicker than I'd ever been in my entire life. Um, So after the Xanax, I was put on clonopin. So that's two benzodiazepines at the same time. And I, the rationale given at the time was that, you know, I could take the longer-acting clonopin three times a day. Mm. And then the Xanax went in between. That's so, crazy. Yeah. That's I, I was taking five doses of Benzo. And then at night, <laughs> she added um, Ambien for sleep. Oh, man. Which is like a Benzo. Um, Unbelievable. Yeah. And I also got put on Seroquel um, for sleep which if you read some of the literature is pretty much, you know, contraindicated. You're not supposed to use that for sleep. Uh, Remeron, because I got put on Adderall because the benzos made me so depressed, but I couldn't tolerate SSRIs or SNRIs. I would have like some kind of reaction to them. Um, And then they were treating
1: one side effect with another drug, right?
3: Yeah. And so because the Adderall made me not hungry and I lost all this weight, then they gave me Remeron to sort of stimulate my appetite. I mean, yeah, it was just like, you know, a
1: vicious cycle.
3: I think my brain just didn't know what to do. It was, you know, stimulated and then it was tranquilized. And, you know, so I got really, really sick. And uh, my my uh, father is a physician and he started to notice that something was wrong, that I wasn't myself at all. I was having, you know, mood changes and he happened to just find a journal article in, in Outside Magazine that was written by a guy named Matt Sammet, and Matt told his story in this magazine, and my dad suspected that that was what was happening to me and gave me the article, and I read it, and immediately I knew. I knew what was, you know, after five years of chasing my tail with all these pills and, and doctors... Uh, Because like Christy, I had gone to and had all kinds of medical testing. I had, you know, upper and lower GI scopes. I was having steroids injected into my wrists because I was having excruciating like tendonitis and joint pains, which I think was also from benzodiazepine Mm -hmm. tolerance and interdose withdrawal. I mean, all kinds of doctors and specialists, dermatologists, because I had rashes everywhere. Um, And that, you know, Matt's article was like my light bulb moment. And um thank so, God that he
1: wrote about his his story.
3: Yeah. I mean, that's part of the reason I even tell mine, because I feel like if Matt wouldn't have told his, I right. don't know what would have happened to me. You know, if I ever would have figured it out, I could have done five more years taking oh, and, and, more and maybe and,
1: more pills. and maybe ended your life. Yeah. But what a yeah. tragedy that the medications that they were giving you were making you sicker. And you and Dr. Huff both had to be your own detectives right? Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Nobody, Finding, nobody knew what was going on except for finally the patient discovers this on her, on her own.
3: Yeah. And the internet, you know, once I found Matt's article, I started digging around like Christy and was just blown away. What was, what was out there and what was possible from these medications?
1: Wow. I, I just feel, um, oh, I don't know. My chest is tight just listening to this story. And I, It just feels demoralizing that you, I mean, you're a young person, just fresh out of school. Everybody's got work stress. That's normal. You're learning a whole new profession and patients are not always the easiest to deal with and coworkers and, you know, so, wow. But boy, were you ever over-medicated and, uh, yeah, uh, treated, uh, absolutely, uh, in a way that uh, provokes uh, the mind to think about malpractice.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I look back and I, I wonder, like, how did you think any of that was a good idea as the the mm-hmm. prescriptions were rolling in? You know, like six by the end. But I, I describe it sort of like Christy. You know, when she was saying about the inner dose withdrawal, it's so bad that you take something or you trust if you don't know what it is that you need help or you need something to help yourself because you can't stand to even live in your skin, you know? So that I think is why I was just accepting the medications and I was trained medically. So I trusted doctors. I have doctors in my family. So I thought, why would they be giving me something harmful? It it didn't even cross my mind that this could be a harmful path to take.
1: Such massive ignorance among prescribers in this country. Uh, they don't know what they're seeing. I remember being referred a woman and they, uh therapist that referred her said she's suffering from anxiety and depression. And she walked into my office. She walked into the wall as she was coming into my office, sat down, her eyes were all bleary, and she was slurring her speech. And she was prescribed uh, a whole bunch of oxycodone and a whole bunch of Xanax and ambient at night. And I mean, depression, anxiety, let's get rid of the pills and see what's underneath. Right. And she was, she was a normal individual, high functioning. Once we got rid of all the pills, I'm sorry that you endured this. What a long, painful journey, right? Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Would you give me a couple of adjectives to describe this path you've been walking?
3: Yeah, sure. So one of them you said earlier uh, in the podcast, which is inhumane, Uh, I mean, I think it was needless and negligent, um, totally unfair, um, health ruining and life devastating. And for a long time, it was life threatening. I was suicidal and wasn't sure I was going to make it. Um, The whole thing was isolating. It was horrifying, tragic, um, irreparable because of all the losses that I endured. Um, It was enduring years and years and years of suffering including the time on the pills, but also withdrawing from them. Totally exhausting. um, I would say, but at the same time, it was enlightening. I mean, I'm certainly not the same person as I was when this started, and I'll definitely not be the same type of provider once I get better and can go back to work.
1: You ever feel like you've been chosen on this planet to do a specific job? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. If it's
3: that deep. I mean, I feel like I have to do something. Yes. But I don't know if there's any like purpose, you know, I'll make purpose of it for sure. That's,
1: that's for sure. And you're making purpose of it. And, and so is Dr. Huff. And that's so admirable to take suffering and turn it into a meaningful existence that benefits other people. I have so much admiration for you guys. It's just, it's amazing. But yeah, I mean, this is not the path that anybody would choose. Uh, And you both speak about, uh, you know, years that you can't get back. Uh, And totally unfair. And you trust prescribers. And uh, these are not medications that I've actually prescribed in my whole career, unless I'm taking somebody off alcohol or, you know, using a Valium taper to take somebody off uh, benzodiazepines. Just because I've seen stories like, uh, you know, your own over and over and over and over. This is not a small problem. This is an epidemic in this country. And hundreds of thousands of people affected ac- around the world. If there were 300,000, I think, reports, right, in the benzodiazepine uh, uh, FDA, I guess, uh, s- search the MedWatch that they took a look at before they Yes, I think somebody their- from the
2: uh, Alliance for Benzo best practices counted and came up with
1: 300,000
2: reports.
1: And that, that's, that's only the reported ones, and that's only in the United States, right? Right, right, just the United States. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even know I could report benzodiazepine harm until I read it on your website. So, you know, add a couple extra hundred in there, you know. Um, so, Nicole, the, I guess you went to a detox because you were desperate to get off these benzodiazepines. Is that something you'd ever recommend somebody who's struggling to get off? Uh, that's a hard no.
3: <laughs> I mean, maybe if, you know, it's a rare, rare case of a paradoxical reaction or some, you know, extreme, extreme case, and there's just no other um, avenue, but most of the time, no, Um I would recommend people, you know, getting as stable as possible. And that might mean, you know, updosing a little bit if you're in severe, severe tolerance or spacing your benzo better um, or, you know, switching to a long-acting benzodiazepine like Valium, like Christy did, just to get yourself, you know, as stable as possible. And then, you know, the recommendation is a really slow um, symptom and patient-guided taper.
1: And you but were in a detox for how long?
3: Um, well, I stayed for the full 30 days because and,
1: mm-hmm.
3: they, they I mean, everybody else, it's kind of sad. Everybody else in there was like graduating to, they had like tears of who was moving up in their um, healing and you could move off campus and all that. But I, I like never graduated to anything because I was so, so sick and I was actually just getting worse. In um, there, and they were ac- trying new medications and things, and I was having severe reactions to everything. At one point, they gave me more Seracol, and I busted my head open on the concrete um, floor and was sent to the emergency room for Seracol overdose.
1: Oh so, no. Oh Yeah, man. I just was incredibly sick in that place. Well, they they should just have told you that it's inhumane to take somebody off that much of a benzodiazepine that you've been on for such a long term uh, in such a short period of time. They took, they took your money, they took your time. And so this was a lot of intense suffering and probably contributed to your protracted severe withdrawal. Oh, I'm, I'm certain of it. Yeah. I mean, the, the shock to my
3: nervous system was so, so severe. I developed akathisia. I mean, I paced until my feet bled. Um, I was acutely suicidal. I was hysterical. Um, My family had no idea what to do. I mean, they just discharged me after 30 days because that's, you know, the standard. Your insurance Uh, will pay for however much or they charge you for whatever and then send you home. And then it was on my family to take care of me. And I was in, I mean, horrific shape, begging to go to the emergency room every five minutes, um, threatening to kill myself constantly because it was just intolerable suffering.
1: I remember an 18-year-old that someone gave me to take care of a couple of years ago, and she had been prescribed clonopin uh, uh, from the age of 16. She was like a 16-year-old kid who had a bad breakup with a boyfriend, a straight-A student, normal kid, a little bit of breakup anxiety. And this child psychiatrist put her on Klonopin. And by the time I got her when she was 18, she was uh, having panic attacks. She couldn't sleep. She was massively depressed. She was cutting herself, uh, suicidal. I had, I sent her to a rehab in Florida that took care of her for one whole solid year. And they did a long, slow Valium taper. Um, But It's really hard to find that. I have parents calling me saying, I want to send my 23-year-old son to a rehab. We have to get him off this. You know, he's on a combination of Adderall and Clonopin. He's been on it for years. You know, let's just get rid of it. We'll we'll pay anything. And the truth of the matter is, I agree with you, there's no rehab uh, that's going to be helpful because it sounds like when you left the detox, you felt like you failed it. This was not a success. Oh, not at all. And I actually wound up back on benzos
3: anyways. So it was like just taking, you know, thousands of dollars and flushing it down the toilet because then I had to reinstate and I found a psychiatrist um, like Christy did, who didn't really know, but she was willing to learn. And I taught her, I brought the Ashton manual and then we, you know, reinstated me and did a taper after that, which I, the damage to my nervous system was pretty much already inflicted. I could only get but so much stability from reinstating the benzodiazepine, but it was enough to where I I felt like I could still stay alive,
1: essentially. Boy, the two of you are certainly resilient. Um, I mean, you're hanging on by the skin of your teeth. And when it certainly was dark for a long, long, long time, right? And, oh, yeah. Uh, well, no. What would you both, questions for, for both of you here, um, what would you say to the new prescriber fresh out of school, whether it's a nurse practitioner, a physician assistant, or a physician regarding benzodiazepines and Z drugs?
2: Sure. So, I'll start. Um, so, I would say, first off, if you're thinking about prescribing this to a patient because of the serious risk risk. Please look for alternatives, um, especially non-pharmacologic options, because you know, our first job is to do no harm. And then, it, you know, if you do need to prescribe a benzodiazepine, we really wanna keep these prescriptions on a short short-term basis meaning less than two to four weeks or preferably just intermittent use, like a one-time dose for flying or for, to stop an acute panic attack. And then we really need to make sure the patient is getting full informed consent about the risk of these medications. And I would even suggest written consent, um, I feel so strongly about this that I authored a consent form that's available on the BIC website that can be used in clinical practice. And, you know, and now that we have the FDA box warning, we can uh, encourage patients to read the information from the FDA as well.
1: Oh, I love that. So on the Benzo Information Coalition website, you've got uh, a uh, release or a uh, uh, informed consent form.
2: Yes, we do. It's on our resources Perfect. page, and it's in printable form.
1: Okay. Oh, that's wonderful. And yeah. So yeah, try your hardest to get the patient to cognitive behavioral therapist or a you know a DBT therapist or some kind of psychodynamic talk therapy or write anything but just write a prescription and get the person out of your office.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I just I don't think pills should be the the first line when we have so many
1: other options. Absolutely. Um, what would you say to someone out there who's saying, I'm having trouble finding a physician? My own primary care doc will not uh, uh, taper me with Valium. He won't do a long, slow taper. He, doesn't, he says he doesn't know anything about it, uh, and uh, I can't find a psychiatrist to work with me. Uh, what do you say to somebody who's wanting to get off these drugs and can't seem to find anyone to uh, help them?
2: Um, well, that's, that's tough. I would say that you need to be persistent in looking for a doctor that can collaborate with you because that doctor probably is going to be out there and it doesn't necessarily need to be somebody that's completely educated on benzos. It just needs to be somebody that can, um, you know, is willing to listen to you and believe you and, um, collaborate with you on a long, slow taper, um, we do have on our website a list of doctors, we call them benzo-wise or benzo-cooperative people that other patients have said have been able to help with a long, slow taper. So, that's a, you know, another resource
1: that we have. I love that advice. Keep looking until you find that person because that person's out there. And I'll tell you something. I remember I was not an expert at taking people off benzodiazepines the first time I did it. I got a copy of the Ashton Manual and I read it like a cookbook. And, you know, it's like, okay, two milligrams of clonopin is 40 milligrams of, you know, Valium. And it's like, okay, go down by 10% per month. And this equals, you know, and the patient will come in the office and say, well, what are we doing? I'm really anxious. I'm like, don't worry, I got this, you know, but it's the first time I've ever done it. So anybody can do it. I mean, Heather Ashton has made it very easy. Um,
3: Yeah, I'll just add to that. Um, You know, it might not be a very popular comment, but you don't have to have a doctor. I mean, other than to prescribe the medication, there are people who just searched and searched and couldn't find anybody. And they didn't trust that if they told their current physician they were tapering, that they wouldn't, you know, cut them off. So they just pretended to still be taking the medication, but they were highly motivated to get off and they were self-taught and Mm -hmm. they they did it at home. I mean, most patients are at home you know, doing this um, on their own. You're just lucky
1: if you have a good doctor who's in your corner too. And I don't object to that. Absolutely. Uh, It's better than them checking themselves into a detox and uh, spending a lot of money for something that's going to fail or result in, you know, uh, damage to the central nervous system. Yeah. I mean, you've got your own withdrawal website, right, Nicole?
3: Oh, um, I co-founded the Withdrawal Project.
1: Um, you That's can find cool. it.
3: Yeah, it's at um, uh, withdrawal.theinnercompass.org, I think, or .com. I'm Wonderful. sorry. I can't remember.
1: Right. So, yeah, patients are learning how to do this because doctors aren't willing or they're not willing or they are not uh, educated in this. And I know that that's true because I have doctors, psychiatrists and primary care docs calling me all the time saying, I've got somebody who's been taking years and years of Klonopin and Xanax, Ativan. Can you take this person off my hands or tell me how to do it? I have colleagues, friends of mine who will say, help me with this. Give me a taper plan who, you know, they psychiatrists who want to work with their own patients. But yeah, they really are looking for some kind of guidance, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I love the articles that you both write on uh, tips to help listeners um, uh, through benzodiazepine withdrawal. So say you've got somebody right now, and they're doing a long, slow Valium taper, and they're suffering from anxiety and restlessness, and uh, they're depressed, and their memory is still not, it's still foggy and they've got cognitive impairment and they're feeling like, wow, this is taking a long time. Any words of wisdom or uh, any tips uh, uh, from either one of you guys?
2: Yeah, so I have some tips. Um, I think the big thing to have is patience because this is going to get better over time. It just takes a long time. So you really just have to have the patience to get through it. But And then as far as getting through it, I think developing coping skills is really important to deal with the symptoms. And everybody's going to be different as far as how best to manage the symptoms. And it just depends on what symptoms you're experiencing as well. But I know for me, Personally, distraction was a great technique that I used to just take my mind off the symptoms. I mean, I would just sit and watch Netflix for hours on my really bad days, and it just took my mind off of it. And deep breathing was helpful sometimes. And then just really managing my overall um, stress level because stress only made the symptoms worse. And then I think having some level of support as well, um, finding other people that are going through this Um I, I found some friends in the online support forums and we were at similar stages in our taper and we were able to, you know, just talk each other through it. I, I still keep in touch with some of those people.
1: I love that. So distract your mind. Um, how about you, Nicole?
3: Yeah, I would agree with everything Christy said for sure. I mean, I used all those coping techniques as well. I would say acceptance was huge mm. for me. Um, just that I, you know, I was strongly motivated. I wanted off of these things. And so I just had to accept that this was part of the way to get there. Um, I did some very, you know, gentle yoga techniques. Um, when I got strong enough physically, I started walking a lot. Um, you know, there was a lot, many years I couldn't even do that. Um, like Epsom baths, although some people might say that they're scared of the epsom which you know people can have reactions to all kinds of things when their nervous system is destabilized so Mm -hmm. be careful about those kinds of things um having a purpose so that's why i got uh, involved in the awareness and activism but you know take your time and you know Don't, you know, care for yourself and rest as much as you can put yourself first and then, you know, just do whatever you whatever you can to survive. I mean, for those who are suffering really, really bad at my worst, I just like showered 10 times a day and laid on the floor naked in front of a box fan and just didn't kill myself.
1: So, you know, whatever you have to do. That's wonderful advice, and it puts it in perspective. It's a a one-day-at-a-time thing for sure. Mm -hmm. And acceptance, radical acceptance. So it's radical acceptance in that you say, okay, um, this is the worst possible thing that could ever happen to me. I didn't want this. I didn't deserve this. And it's going to maybe take years, and I have to give up my job, and I I feel afraid all the time, and I've lost years, but I'm going to radically accept it. Um, and that alone decreases the suffering on some level, doesn't it? Yeah, because
3: I feel like, uh, the path of coming off, at least there was hope that I could be well again, but the path of staying on, if I chose that was just a dead end. I mean, I was so sick on the pills. And so I had to accept, like you said, I'm, I'm choosing this path because there's hope in that direction, but I have to get through the worst suffering to get there.
1: And what do you um, offer through the Benzodiazepine Information Coalition? Um, What does it offer somebody suffering from long-term benzodiazepine uh, prescriptions?
2: So um, our website has a ton of information about benzodiazepines, um, you know, all sorts of stuff, their adverse effects, um, how to taper off a medication. And it really applies to people that are already taking benzodiazepines, people that are going wanting to come off them or in the middle of a tape or even post withdrawal. And we have an entire page of resources that we've collected, you know, guidance on benzodiazepine prescribing. We have a copy, a free copy of the Ashton manual, either PDF or Kindle form. We have that informed consent form that I talked about, um, leaks to online and even a few a handful of in-person support groups. So, and a list of Benzowise doctors. So we've, we've got a lot of information.
1: That's amazing. That's wonderful. Um, Are there um, recovery groups in person in New York City that I saw for people uh, coming off of benzodiazepines or did I dream that? Uh, In my mind, I saw like some kind of, it's not benzodiazepine anonymous, uh, but I wonder if there's an in-person support group in New York City. Did I see something like that on your website?
2: Yeah, I would have to go back and look. I know it, there's one in Chicago for sure because I know some I th- of the people in it. I think the New York
3: one is new. A lot of times, what happens is the the, the survivors will start a group on their own and they'll put it on, um, Oh, what is that website, Christy? Where it's you-
2: Warm Network, I believe. Yeah. Um, or they'll advertise
3: it at one of the popular like event. Um, Oh, right. Places. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, oh, meetup.com. A lot of them get on oh, cool. there. And, and so, um, yeah, and then people find it and say, oh, my local area has a you know support group either in person. I know during the pandemic, they were doing a lot of Zoom
1: sessions and things like that. That must be so comforting. I bet people in their living rooms are listening to you feeling comforted by just listening to how healthy you sound and how um, uh, good your concentration is and how eloquent you sound and how thoughtful and how calm and how high-functioning you both are having rebounded from this uh, derailment. So you're just offering people a lot of hope just by listening. Nicole, I wonder, do you want to tell us anything about um, Medicating Normal? I know that you uh, promote it and market it and uh, do a lot of uh, podcasts for them, Facebook work. Yeah, sure. I mean, if if,
3: um, you guys are out there and you haven't seen the film, you should. You can go to medicatingnormal.com slash watch where you can find all of the upcoming screenings that we're doing. And then if you go to the Medicating Normal Facebook page, um, about once a week, we do interviews with um, different professionals and people with lived experience around not just benzodiazepines, but all psychiatric medications. Um, And Dr. Halligan was a a previous guest, so you can see her interview. We have it on Medicating Normal's um, YouTube channel.
1: And it's interesting because the stories that I watched on Medicating Normal, uh, I think they follow, do they follow three people, maybe four stories? It's five, I believe. Yeah. Very similar to yours and Dr. Huff's, uh, the anguish and uh, the hopelessness and uh, the 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 fact that the psychiatrists were telling these people that they're kind of losing their minds, you know, sort of patient shaming, right? Well, you have another mental disorder and it wasn't that at all. The drugs are making them sick. So we're, we're at the um, uh, point where we're going to have to end the show. I could talk to you guys all day, mm-hmm. but I just want to thank you both for coming on the the show and sharing your stories of hope and resiliency. I think you're both heroic uh, modern day heroes, and I think this transformation of your own suffering into a life of incredible meaning that helps other people—I uh, think it's worthy of applause. So I'm super, super happy that you're both speaking up and advocating for those who can't speak for themselves, those who are losing losing hope and feel like they have nowhere to turn and no one to help them. So keep doing the wonderful work that you do, and. Uh, Uh, to the listening audience if you or someone that you love is suffering from long-term benzodiazepine prescription dependence uh, or a severe protracted withdrawal uh, have a look at benzoinfo.com and uh, check out this very uh, it's a wonderful resource so thank you all for coming and uh, we'll see you all next week
0: thank you for joining us this week Recovery, The Hero's Journey, is broadcast every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Health and Wellness channel. As you wait for our next program, remember, you are definitely not alone.